You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.com. Today, lead pastor Eugene Smith will continue with our series called The Fearless Tour. Today, we will be talking about three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. May we have faith like these men, committed to serving the Lord and demonstrating true faith, a faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. Our scripture text comes from Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Today's message is entitled, Walking Through Fire. Fearless through the fire. This morning we are going to take a journey. We're going to walk through the fire together. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Come on, can we do that one more time? Let's all read it in unity together this morning. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm going to read the next verse to you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange things happen to you. But rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. Ooh. To the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that verse right there, that's a tough verse for me. Rejoice in fiery trials? Come on. What are you talking about? This morning I want to talk to you about how do we walk through the fires of life and not be burned? How do we live, as Craig said, a life that's fearless, a life that's tested by fire so that our faith can truly be trusted. How do we live that kind of life? Now, when I was a boy, when I was a little tiny boy, actually, when I was, I was actually thinking I wasn't that small of a boy, but looking back on it, I was a really little boy. I attended a church with my family, and uh, like uh, kids who go to church all the time, because I was a drug baby, I drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every time the church doors were open, I was drugged to church whether I wanted to go or not. And so one night after a Sunday night service, I was uh, with this little girl. We were running around uh, the church, and somehow we ended up behind the building. And this little girl put out her lips, and she wanted to give me a great big kiss. I, rem- I mean, I still remember. I was probably six years old. I remember it was like it was yesterday. And she says, come on, give me a kiss. And I looked at her, and I had this conviction inside. There was no way I was going to give her a kiss. And I looked at her right in the eye, and I said, no way. I'm not going to kiss you. She said, oh, come on. Give me a kiss. I said, no way. I'm not going to kiss you. And then she turned, and she ripped up her hand, and she just slapped me across the face. And she turned around, and she walked away. And I stood there. I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. I mean... That was a fiery trial in my life. I got slapped by a little girl because I wouldn't give her a kiss. But that wasn't the end of the story. You know, there is a frame that says, Hades has no fury like a woman scorned. And this young lady had some fury against me. So the next week, there was a a little girl in our church that had, uh, uh, um, uh, she was mentally challenged. And this young girl... Yeah, I, you know, she went to our church. We had grown up with her. I didn't know her that well. She couldn't communicate. But this little girl that had just slapped me on the face went and told her mom that myself and my two sisters had been making fun of and picking on this girl at church all day. Now, man, 
I had the fear of God and the fear of my dad and the fear of my mom. That's why I wouldn't even kiss that little girl. There is no way I was, uh, there was no way I would say something like that to a little girl. And so this little girl told her mom, and her mom immediately went and told my mom that myself and my two sisters were making fun of this girl who was mentally challenged. Let me tell you, I saw fire, and it was in my mother's eyes. And my mother let that fire go from her eyes to her hands to her belt to the backside of my rear end. And I tell you, I had pain. I walked, I didn't, I didn't go through the fire and didn't get burned. I got burned, and I was yelling and screaming. I thought, wow, that was not fair. And you know, the reality in life, many times the fiery trials that we have don't seem fair. That wasn't fair. I was, I was persecuted because of someone else and what they said. In our story this morning, and the, the people that we're going to be looking at who literally walked through the fire and they weren't burned, not just spiritually, but also naturally. It's one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. It's a story that every child learns when they go to Sunday school. Therefore, I'm going to read it to you out of the Beginner's Bible, a timeless children's stories Bible. Can we do that this morning? And so if you have your children's Bible this morning, it's on page 248 this morning. And I'm going to read to you the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the Bible says, one day the king of Babylon set up a tall gold statue. And he told the people, horns and pipes will play. When you hear the music, bow down and worship the statue. If you don't, I will throw you into a big fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew they could only worship the true God. They heard the music, but they did not bow down. Oh, come on, this is cute, right? Someone told the king, he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bow down and worship the statue, he said. But they said, we will never worship a statue. The king was very angry. He called his servants, make the fire as hot as you can and throw these men into it, he said. So his helpers made a hot, hot fire. They threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the king could not believe his eyes. Suddenly, there were four men in the fire, and one looked like a son of God. They were walking around. They were not burning. Come out, called the king. Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego, they came out. They were not burned. They did not even smell like smoke. The king was amazed. He praised God, and he knew God had saved them. And there's the four guys in the fire, and the king praising God. Come on, let's give the Lord a great big hand clap this morning. I want us to pray. Father, I pray that our hearts will be open to receive from you. I thank you today, Lord, that even when we go through the fires the fiery trials of life. Lord, you have promised that we won't be burned. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us here today. And Lord, a faith that is tested by fire is the only faith that can truly be trusted. I thank you today, God, for what you are doing in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you are creating us to be a church who are full of fearless people. We're not afraid of the enemy. We're not afraid of man. We're not afraid of our circumstances. And we're not afraid of our situations. And Lord, today I thank you that it's by your grace we're able to live this life of spiritual power. Lord, in the areas that we're weak today, in the areas that we're struggling today, in the areas that we feel fear instead of faith, I pray that your conviction and your strength 
will give us the power to live boldly for you. I ask this now, Jesus, in your wonderful and your mighty name. Amen. You know, all of us, all of us are attracted by fire. There's just something about fire that's attractive. There's something about fire that's attractive spiritually. There's something attractive. There's just some, you remember the times in your life that you've seen a building on fire? I remember years ago, I was driving down the road, and the Coca-Cola plant in my hometown in Tucson, in Tucson Arizona was on fire. And it wasn't just a little fire. It was a blazing, roaring fire. And guys, let me tell you, it stopped everything. I mean, literally for miles. I mean, everybody gathered around to watch that building ablaze of fire. And the cars that had been parked around it kind of starting to catch on fire. And the paint melting. And I mean, it was intense. I'm driving down the road. And I was going from L.A. to Tucson one time. And I, I was driving down the road. And, and there was a mobile home that had caught on fire. And, was, and you know where it was at? It was right in the middle of Death Valley. I don't know if you've ever driven through Death Valley before. But let me tell you, Death Valley is fire. I mean, you got one word, caliente. Uh, uh, what's another word for Spanish, in Spanish for fuego? It was hot. It's, I mean, you just look across the road while you're driving, and you just see, like, it looks like flames literally coming up off the road, 125 degrees. Anybody ever been in 125-degree heat before? That's hot. It's really hot. But mobile home just caught on fire. Everybody stops to watch a fire. There's something about fire. And in the Bible, there are many metaphors that fire is used for. One of the things in the Bible that we see fire used for is fire purifies. Fire purifies. It, it, uh, the, the, the ironsmith or the silversmith or the goldsmith would take this raw ore and they would put it under intense fire and they would melt it and then they would skim off the impurities and they would bring a pure silver or a pure gold. Fire destroys. Fire has the capability to do great damage. Fire gives light. Fire lights up the path. My wife and I were at Epcot on Friday night, and we were walking around right before Epcot got ready to close, and they had these great big torches. They turned the lights down low around the lake there, and they turned these great big torches on, and the torches light the path. It was a bright fire that brought brilliant light to the path. Fire gives warmth. You're out in the cold. And you know, it's even fun when you're going camping. Even if it's not very cold, there's something, I mean, Florida doesn't get that cold, but there's something just about being around a campfire. Dennis over here loves to have great big bonfires. We were at a, an event at his house a couple of months ago, and I mean, guys, the fire was hot. It was a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fire, man. It was, I mean, you had to pull, we were all sitting around lawn chairs, and, and about half an hour into it, we just all moved our lawn chairs back because it was hot. Fire. There's something about fire. You see, in our lives, in our lives, we will go through fiery trials. Your faith will be tested. What I've discovered about God is that there is uh, the God of offense. There is a God who will offend you. He will offend you. God will allow you to go through things in your life that just don't seem fair. Peter said it like this. Peter said, don't, don't think it's strange. Don't say, boy, that's weird that I'm having this problem or this challenge in my life. Because the reality is, as long as we breathe breath on this life, life will have problems and challenges. But there is a way that we can live a life of faith, a life that declares that our God is mighty to save, that will produce a sense of fearlessness and great confidence in a good God. 
I want us this morning, you got a couple of notes. There. The first thing that I want you to see about this fearless life is that a fearless life doesn't blame God for their problems. Doesn't blame God for their problems. Now, the problem in our story is big. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you read the first three chapters, these are guys who've been favored. Francis Schaeffer says they're comers. I mean, they're up-and-coming people. Uh, these guys, these, these three young men and Daniel were favored Hebrew children. The children of Israel had been taken into captivity because of their disobedience, because they had turned from serving God and serving the God of their own choosing. In other words, they made God in their own image, and they followed the gods of the world. They had all kinds of idols. God said, listen, I am the one God. When God revealed himself to Moses, he was the great I am. And he showed himself to be powerful and strong, to be caring and to be loving. But they rejected him. And they followed the gods of, the, of this world. And because they did that, they had lots of problems that came into their life. Lots of challenges. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not of any fault of their own, but because their fathers and their forefathers had disobeyed God, had found themselves sold as slaves into captivity underneath Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful man. As a matter of fact, he ruled the known world of his day. He had the most powerful military. He was the, uh, he was the most wealthy man in the, in the world. He was, he was a guy of great means, and he was also a very arrogant man. But in chapter 1, we find that these three men find favor with the king. In chapter 2, this king has a dream, and he can't interpret the dream, and he calls Daniel in, and Daniel says, I can't interpret it, but the God that I serve will give me the interpretation. And the God that he served showed Daniel what this dream meant, and it was a great big, this great big statue that had four different four parts to it, and, and Daniel described to him what that dream meant and what was going to happen. It's a very powerful prophetic thing, uh, act that God did, showing what was going to take place in the future. And at the end of chapter 2, the Bible says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were given favor or became administrators in provinces that were under the control of Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, these guys were bright. They had passed tests. Whenever there was a test of uh, what kinds of foods, and Daniel said, listen, we can't eat these foods that have been sacrificed to idols. We can't eat the king's foods. Just give us vegetables and water, and after 10 days, see who's stronger. And the Bible says that after 10 days, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of just eating vegetables and water, they were stronger, they were healthier, they were brighter. And so they had found favor. These were smart guys. They had knowledge and wisdom. They were great students. They, at a young age, had already gotten their PhDs. I mean, they knew the economic world that they lived in. They knew the, the historical world that they lived in. They knew the ancient literatures of that day. These were very bright guys. These were guys who were literally, they were the smartest of the smartest. They were the brightest bulbs. And here they have the favor of God that gives them promotion over a territory that Nebuchadnezzar ruled. But it shows you how fast things can turn in your life. Things can turn in your life on a dime. We've watched it in Wall Street here in the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, the stock market was making money, and people were making money in houses, and the economy was booming. And all of a sudden, literally almost seemingly on a dime, everything collapsed. Those same guys who were the brilliant boys of Wall Street are now being castigated uh, in front of billions of people on the planet as they're being grilled by senators and being challenged by the kinds of decisions they made. They were in favor in one moment, and the next moment they were out of favor. These three guys didn't do anything to fall out of favor. 
but they had challenges in their life. And I want you to see, when you read the story for yourself in Daniel chapter 3, they never blamed God. They never blamed God for the problems that they were going through. You know, the tendency of man, the tendency of man is to find themselves in challenging times and want to blame God. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 3 says it like this, A man's own folly brings ruin in his life. Therefore, his heart rages against God. Now, now, we've all done this. We've all done some really dumb things. We've all made terrible mistakes, and we found ourselves in some really hard places. And then we'll say something like this, God, why am I going through this? God, I just don't think I can take this any longer. But if we really examined our heart, if we really were to ask ourselves the hard questions, guess what? We said, you know what? There were some choices that I made back here that brought me to this place in my life. But the fact is, not all of our problems are because of bad choices. Sometimes problems happen because of choices that other people make. That little girl, when I was six years of age, told her mom, lied to her mom, and said that my, myself and my two sisters, we were making fun or teasing a girl who was mentally challenged. And I experienced the wrath of my mother. See, sometimes you have problems in your life, and they're not your fault. Just peeps, other people have made bad choices. Right now, there's a great big oil spill that's getting ready to sweep all over the coastline of, of, New or- of, of uh, Louisiana, potentially Alabama. And they're saying that it isn't going to hit the possibly the west coast of Florida, but it's going to actually get into the Gulf Stream and come all the way up around and hit the east coast of the state of Florida. There's a huge Gulf Stream, and it's going to be a lot of problem for a lot of people. There are people right now, there were shrimpers and fishermen all throughout the Gulf of Mexico who are not able to go out fishing for, who knows, weeks, if not months to come. It's going to negatively affect their economic ability to produce wealth and income. Whose fault is that? It wasn't their fault. They live in a fallen world. Everyone say, fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes problems are our fault. Sometimes problems are other people's fault. Sometimes problems are just a result of living in a fallen world. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't do anything wrong. And I want you to see this. They never blame God. The fool in his heart rages against God. It's the fool. It's the fool. When they have problems in their life, don't turn to God. They turn away from God. And so we see this tendency of the human heart. But I want you to see what God says about problems. It's in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 20. It's a test. Your problems are a test from God. You see, a a faith that is tested by fire is the only faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested by fire is the only faith that can be trusted. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 11, verse number 20. But O Lord Almighty, you who judge righteously and test the heart and mind. God, test the heart and the mind. Why does God do that? Why does God test you? Why does God allow us to go through tests? Because God wants to really see what's in your heart. And there's something about problems that bring who we really are to the top of the surface. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, Who we really are is seen when we're in the dark. Who you really are is seen when you're in the dark. Think about that. The test of life. God allows these because He's checking our hearts. He's seen. Job, the whole trial of Job in the Bible is about God testing Job. Allowing Job to be tested. And the Bible says that Job never cursed God. He questioned God. 
He had lots of challenges. He had lots of frustrations, but he never cursed God. He never blamed God for his problems. The third thing I want you to see is that trials or problems are a teachable moment. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Did you hear that this morning? Brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. You know, when I had the, when I had the application of correction applied to the rear end of my posterior by my mother at the age of six, I didn't feel a lot of joy. I didn't feel a lot of joy. You know, the fact is a lot of times when we're going through difficult times, we don't feel joy. You see, because faith isn't based on feeling. Your faith in God is not based on you, how you feel on the moment. One morning, I wake up, and I feel really good. And the next morning, I wake up, and I feel really bad. And if I live my life by my feelings, I will find that my life becomes like a roller coaster, up and down. Every whim, every frustration, every little irritation that comes my way, I'll just give into it. And then well, up and down, up and down. You see, your faith is an opportunity for you to learn to count it all joy. The second thing that I want you to see this morning is that they refused to bow down. They refused to bow down. Now, that's a deep conviction. That's a deep conviction. I've got to talk about this just for a moment because, guys, this is such a powerful truth here this morning. The herald... The person proclaims, you can read the story for yourself, but, they, but basically the story is this. Everyone is going to bow down at the edict of the king. And when you hear the music play, and the Bible describes all the kinds of instruments that play, when you hear the music play, everyone is to bow down. Everyone. These guys, they refused to bow down. You see, what happens in the heat of trials in the heat of problems, if you haven't had a conviction about how you're going to respond, if you don't have a deep conviction about how you're going to respond, you'll go with your feeling. You'll go with what you think at the moment. It's a choice. This is one of the most powerful truths. I was thinking about people who have deep conviction. There are people who have deep conviction that I adamantly disagree with. Adamantly but I have to respect them that they have a strong opinion about something. Now, right now, we're in the middle of a, coming up with another political uh, cycle, and, and uh, we have uh, our person who is the governor makes a decision to run with another party, run with the independent party. Well, what does that tell you about that individual? That tells you that that person is not necessarily a person of deep conviction, at least in my judgment. Because people who are ideologues, they don't switch loyalties that quickly. They just don't. So one moment, he's a Republican, and then the next moment, he's an independent. And the reason he goes from being a Republican to an independent, because he's 30 points down in the polls, and Mark Rubio's probably going to beat him. So he switches to become an independent so that he can win the election. You see, that's the nature of our world. That's not decisions based on conviction. That's a decision based on... What's best for me? What's best for my agenda? And people that have deep convictions make right choices even when it hurts. Conviction costs. 
You see, for these guys, the conviction, the conviction that they weren't going to bow down was going to cause potentially a lot of pain in their life. And the pain in their life was going to be what? That they were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace and be burned. That's a challenge. That's a challenge. You think about the convictions that you have in your life. Why do you do the things that you do? See, the fact is this morning, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. A couple of years ago in South Africa, a man by the name of Nelson Mandela Mandela ran for public office. He was the first African to be elected in South Africa in its history. But something happened in his life. He was elected by an overwhelming majority. The reality was 27 years previous, Nelson Mandela had a conviction that he wouldn't bend, he wouldn't bow, and he wouldn't break. He would not give in until apartheid was dismantled in South Africa. He took a stand for what he believed in. You know, the fact is that people take stands today for all kinds of things. But you know what God asked us today? What are you willing to take a stand for? As Christians today, if we don't take a stand for Christ, if we don't take a bold stand for the cause of Christ in the workplace, your friends will never know. You know, I was thinking about in my lifetime, in the places that I've worked, it was never easy to be a person of conviction. It was never easy to be a person who took a stand. You know, is it a challenge when you're in the, in the break room and they're telling dirty jokes and you turn around and walk out? Is that a challenge? You see, that's a ch- I don't know about you, but that was a challenge for me. I remember I walked in one time into where a group of employees were at, and they were playing around with the cash register, and they were making the cash register say all kinds of dirty words. And the dirty words were coming up on the screen of the cash register, and I remember as I looked in there, I saw what they were doing. They were laughing. I turned around and walked out, and the moment I, and I didn't say anything to them. I just wasn't a part of it. And the moment that I turned around and walked out, one of the guys noticed it. One of the guys that loved to torment me because I was a Christian at work, loved to harass me and always tease me and make fun of me and, and see if he could get me to get angry or to curse. And he started immediately, he jumped on that. And he started making fun of me in front of all the people. You know, the fact is, when you're a person of conviction, it isn't always easy. When you make a choice, I told my wife this morning, when you make a choice or a conviction, you have a conviction in your heart about anything that you feel is right or that the Bible teaches is right, there will be people who don't agree. You make a choice. You have a conviction about the way you're going to live your life or you're going to raise your family. There will be people in your church who don't have the same value system. There will be people who don't think or think that it's okay to watch other movies or to listen to certain kind of music. This story is fascinating to me because it's centered around this atmosphere of worship. Nebuchadnezzar was going to have them all bow down and worship. That's what they were going to do. They were all going to worship this great big statue. Fascinating. There's something powerful about music. Adolf Hitler said this. He said, the person who writes the music and the sound of a nation determines It's morals. Did you hear that? The person who writes the music, the words, and the sound for a nation are the ones that determine its morals. The fact is today, our nation, our nation has been dictated. Our value has been dictated. On Friday, I was at Epcot, and I was watching the band. They had the Fab Four band out there in Little England. They play I've been to Epcot, I don't know how many times in the last 10 years, but many times, and they play every single night. 
and they play songs of a famous band. Anybody know, anybody know what band it is? The Beatles. And I stood in the circle, and I watched as they played, and every single song that they played, every person knew. Every single one. And, and you know, and everybody, it was, I mean, it was like toe-tapping, everybody's clapping, and they're going, and Beatles, back in the USSR, today's your birthday, we're going to have a good time. I mean, everybody was singing, and they're getting their groove on, and the little kids are out there dancing around. Well, when the Beatles came to America, their morals, the words and their lifestyle dictated the morals of a generation. It's a fact. It's an absolute fact. The music of a generation affects it, and we are affected by the things that happen in our world. And to take a stand, to take a stand and say, we're going to be people of conviction. We're going to live a different kind of life. It always cost. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down. Paul the Apostle said it like this. He said, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him that day. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were committed. They were totally committed. They knew that the God that they served was able to keep them. We live under a day of tremendous peer pressure. A couple of years ago, there was a television program called Candy Candid. Candid Camera. Anybody ever see a program called Candid Camera before? And Candid Camera did a couple of tests. And one of the tests that they did to show, you, to show the power of peer pressure is they had all these actors go into an elevator. And when they got in the elevator, they turned around and they faced the other direction. And then, when they, oh, actually what happened, they had all the people stand in the elevator. And then whenever the next person came into the elevator, as soon as the person came into the elevator and they pushed the button, they all turned around and faced the other way. And they showed every person that came in, they would push their button. And because everybody else turned around, what do you think they did? They turned around. They did another one that wasn't so great. Uh, they, they actually did this. They, they took a bunch of actors and they put them in a doctor's waiting room and they had them all stripped down to their underwear. And every patient, this is a true story, every patient that walked into that doctor's office, looked around and saw all these patients stripped down to the underwear. And what do you think they did? Every single one took their clothes off. I guess they thought, I guess you got to get naked for the doctor anyways. You might as well start now. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. There is tremendous pressure to go against the crowd. There's tremendous pressure to stand up and to say, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. There's a tremendous amount of pressure to do it in a way where you're firm in your convictions, but you show grace to other people. You show grace to other people. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't yelling, hey, I'm not going to bow down. They weren't telling everybody. Just when the king came to them, they said, listen, dude, we are not going to bow down. They weren't running out there trying to get everybody else not to bow down. They had simply made a choice. They weren't going to bow down. They let their actions lead for them. You see, their actions spoke so loud, they didn't even need to say words. And when the king came and he threatened them, he said, listen, guys, I'm going to give you one more chance. You know what they said? King, it doesn't matter when we go into that fire. You throw us into that fire, it doesn't matter if we're saved or not saved. The God that we serve is well able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to serve you. What happens? in your life when your business fails? What happens in your life when your marriage doesn't work out? What happens when you go to a local church and they're 
problems that take place. Like a guy that I sat next to at Panera's yesterday and stopped going to church because he had a squabble with some of the people in the church. What happens? What happens in your life? It's an opportunity to be offended or it's an opportunity to grow in the grace of God and to develop a conviction that I'm going to do things the way that God has said. You see, these guys, they made a bold, faith-filled confession in the midst of this crisis. That's an unshakable confidence. In verses 17 and 18, the Bible says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We will never. We will never. As a church, we will never serve another God. You know, the challenge in our culture today, you know, there was a great big idol. You know, the idols that we have today aren't 90 feet tall and made of solid gold. The idols that we have today are giant screen TVs and big entertainment systems and movie houses and just pleasures of this world. The sensuality, the pornography, this, all the stuff that we're inundated with. Those are the idols of this day. The things that they pull our heart away from God. They pull our heart away from the God who created us to be a worshiper of Him. We find our affection on other things. The three boys said, it doesn't matter what you do to us. We're never going to bow down. You see, they had a faith-filled confession. What's your confession today? What's your faith today? What are you believing? You see, a faulty faith, a faulty faith when they go through the pressures and they go through the stuff and the offenses of life want to quit, give up. A faith-filled faith, a confident faith, looks to the mountain and declares, my God is mighty to save. He will move my mountain. You will move my mountain. I don't care. I'm going to go into a fiery furnace. I don't care what the challenge, the problem, the circumstance. I don't care the event. I'm not going to put my faith or confidence in anything else, but my hope is in God alone. See, today you make a choice. Faith-filled. You can make that choice to live a faith-filled kind of life. A faith that's real. Even if I die. Job said, even if you slay me, God, I'll only serve you. Even if you slay me. Your choice today. The end result for these boys is that they receive the blessing of God. The end result is that they receive God's blessing. His super Natural favor. Then Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw the fire that they had not been harmed. Their bodies nor the hairs of their heads were singed, and their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell a fire on them. The king, when he looked in the fire, saw one. It's interesting. In the King James, it says the Son of God. Some translations say angels. The NIV says the sons of a God. See, Nebuchadnezzar, the whole, all throughout the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar keeps encountering God. He keeps encountering God. And generally, his encounters with God 
at the end didn't work out well for his life. You see, you can acknowledge who God is. Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God. There's one who looks like the son of the gods. You see, Nebuchadnezzar knew that there was a God. He was the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He'd already identified it when he gave Daniel, and he gave them, these three Hebrew boys, he gave them a promotion in the land. He'd already identified it in their lives. He acknowledged God, but he never surrendered. He never surrendered. You see, he saw Jesus in the fire. I want you to know today, Isaiah chapter 43, I love this verse, says, but now this, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, O Eugene, O who formed you, O city church, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I've summoned you, I've called you by name, you are mine. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. When the trials, when the tests of life come, there is one who is standing with you. His name is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is your King. When things happen in your life that shake your confidence and they don't make any sense and you can't understand it, guess what? There is one who is with you, and his name is Jesus. You see, he, Jesus was in their midst. He was in their presence. The presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus is here today for you. He's in you. He lives in you. Not only was his presence with them, his divine protection. His divine protection. He is your protector today. He is your protector. He cares. He cares about what we are going through today. But we have to make a choice. You see, there's a conviction in my life. I'm going through stuff that you don't even know about. And you're going through stuff that I don't even know but I made a choice today. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be easily shaken. I'm not going to quit. I am fully persuaded. This confidence I have is not in myself, but is in my God, who is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. I've asked two questions this morning at the end of your text. In what area of your life are you most tempted to follow peer pressures instead of God's commands? Every age group has different peer pressures. Every age group, young people, peer pressure to go with the crowd, young people to be ashamed at school, but even for people that go to work, peer pressure to conform, to laugh, to be involved in activities, to do things that you know that God doesn't want you to do. I mean, every person here, peer pressure impacts all of us. That, that, that something about us that wants to conform to everyone around us. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be different. But the Bible says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. Believers always stand out because we're the light of the world. We're the message of hope for our generation. We are the ones that are carriers of God's presence. We are the ones who are to walk through the fire and show that, listen, you can go through the stuff of life and not be burned. We are the ones that are called to demonstrate this message of hope to a world that is perishing. We're the ones, this church, this family, this Christian community, all throughout, not only here in Central Florida, but around the world. What what are you struggling? What, What areas and finally, what fiery trials are you going through? that you need your faith strengthened this morning. What fiery trials are you going through? You see, they had made the decision. They were people of conviction before they ever went into the fiery furnace. They had already made the choice. Jesus showed up. Today, Jesus is here to show up in your life. 
That's why we, one of the reasons we gather together for corporate worship on a Sunday morning. We gather together so that we can experience God, we can encounter Him, and we can learn His ways better. Thanks for listening to this message, Walking Through Fire with Lead Pastor Eugene Smith. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407 321 9600.